0: Greetings, we offer these podcasts freely, and your support really matters. To make a donation, please visit tarabrock.com. Namaste and welcome. The last talk that I gave was on embodied presence and uh, awakening in our body, awakening our senses to full aliveness. And so tonight is uh, the second of a series uh, that explores this. I'd like to start with a Mideastern story that I heard some time ago about a man who was falsely accused of uh, as, as a criminal and he's put in jail. And a friend came to visit and gave him a prayer rug. And he was really disappointed because he had wanted a hacksaw or some tools to help him get out. But, you know, so he realized, okay, this is what I got, I might as well use it. So every day he'd kneel down and bow and pray. And he started to get more familiar with the pattern that was woven into the rug. And one day it struck him that the image in the rug was really the diagram of the lock that he could unlock to step into freedom. So, uh, the pathway that frees us, the portal to freedom, is always right here. It's what we're standing on, it's this aliveness in our body that's right here. It's just what's going on. And probably the biggest illusion in the world is that it's something down the road that we have to wait to learn and get and so on. Right here, the prayer rug, right under our feet. And what's so interesting is when you consider it is that everything we experience, a sense of fear, a sense of joy, excitement, whatever, It always registered in this living body. So if we want to enter reality, reality, true reality, we absolutely have to experience aliveness in our body. It's the way. The Buddha said, it's through this fathom-long body that we experience the whole universe. And Kabir put it this way, the God that I seek is within. So we're going to continue this exploration about how really any healing that we feel is important to us requires going to where emotions live in the body to process and unfold them. And any realization that we seek requires being awake in the senses so we can directly contact reality. And any love that we long for requires being embodied so we can feel our hearts, so it's not conceptual or abstract. The challenge, of course, which we all know, is that we tend to leave home again and again and again. We're just... I, I regularly say, well, let's just think of today. And if you think of where you journeyed to today in your minds, if you review the day, you probably noticed that there actually weren't many swaths of actually living presence and we spend our time in pretty an in incessant inner dialogue about what's about around the corner what we need to plan on what we're worried about what we're rehearsing so I think of this as the this leaving home as the real meaning of leaving the garden you know when we talk about leaving the Garden of Eden and there's a mythology in many different uh, Spiritual traditions for leaving the garden. I like to most comfortably think of it in terms of evolutionary psychology. That we all uh, there's the original state is a kind of embeddedness, not with a self awareness, but an embeddedness. And then the first emergence is into this egoic self aware being. We naturally leave the garden when we become aware of a self. Okay, and then. This is a highly simplified version. We wake up, we become identified as separate self. We've left the garden, that sense of real belonging, connectedness. We feel me in here, world out there. And then as we continue to evolve our consciousness, we begin to be aware of that and through that presence re-enter the garden, so to speak. And re-entering the garden means really embracing this aliveness unconditionally, now, that's hard because the nature of being embodied – this is something we all find as we start to practice, if we're going to stay a bit – is experiencing pleasant and unpleasant. And the unpleasant can be intense. We can experience all the rawness of the elements of fire and pressure and heaviness and weight. We can also experience flowing and light and dancing, vibration and so on. and when we start checking out staying in the body we feel the rawness of our vulnerability as human organisms we feel the sense of the squeeze of the fear and the hollowness and ache of the shame and the sense... and we also experience the ecstatic vibrational bliss of love but it's all in the body so the training that we're in really is first how to come back from all the thinking and then how to really, with awareness, with kindness open to this incredible, raw, dynamic dance that's going on right here. Again, over a simplified way, in order to stay in this body we have to decondition our habitual limbic reaction to try to control things. And this is pervasive. Every one of us has a nervous system that is rigged to, when it's pleasant, in some way try to seek it out more, enhance it, hold on to it. And when it's unpleasant, to try to move away from it. I mean, a few-celled creature amoeba will do it, contract away, and we do it. So there's a deconditioning that's necessary. And yet we've got a lot of uh, programming in us to carry on the way we've been doing it. And it's deeply reinforced by our culture. I mean, our culture is in a developmental arrest in terms of the egoic level. It has not continued to evolve for the most part in many ways. And you can see it on so many levels, this, the need to dominate nature, you know, and be in control. It's like the humans have the right to control nature and every other species and to violate and so on including parts of their own species. And you can see it in how we over-medicate our body. And you can see it in our addictions to substances and how much we are addicted to virtual reality, that we're we're trying to control things and not live in the wildness of these bodies. And when we do, we lose intimacy. You can see it so much... uh, you know, that we, we spend all this time in our, in our minds kind of circling around with how we are afraid of falling short and trying to seek comfort and rationalize and so on, that we live in a very, uh, often a very small, very self-centered and, and often distorted kind of a reality. I'll share with you one of my favorite examples, some of you will remember, I shared it last year, of a couple that lived in Minneapolis, I think, and they decided to go to do their honeymoon where they had uh, been in uh, Florida 20 years earlier. But because of their schedules, he had to go first, So and she was going to follow the day later. So when he arrived, he sent her an email, but um, by mistake he left uh, a letter out of the address. And so, meanwhile, somewhere in Houston, uh, a woman had just returned, a widow had just returned from uh, the funeral of her her husband, he was a minister who had been called home for glory. You know, he, had, he was, uh, had a heart attack. So, Anyway, she decides to check her email and she faints when she sees her email. And her, her, her son came in to see what happened and he s- found out on the computer screen. Here's what it read. It said, To my loving wife, <laughs> subject, I've arrived. I know you're surprised to hear from me they have computers here now and you're allowed to send emails to your loved ones I've just arrived and been checked in I see that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow looking forward to seeing you hope your journey as, is as uneventful as mine was and it's P.S. sure is hot down here it's a fun one So we leave, and we leave in our thoughts, and our thoughts are often distorted. And, um, you know, I mentioned in the last class that it's even more and more so with our children, this next generation, that, you know, our younger children spend six hours a day online in front of a screen. This is on an average teen's nine hours. So there's a forgetting. I mean, if a young child is spending... A lot of time in virtual reality and not in nature there is a kind of forgetting, a disconnecting. Since I was talking about evolution, uh, a four-year-old opened a big family Bible and suddenly an old dry leaf that had been pressed in between pages fell out and with astonishment he exclaims, Mommy, Mommy, I found Adam's underwear! <laughs> So it's fun, but just to sense that if our children are not in love with the natural world and feeling their belonging it lessens the tendency to be a steward, to take care. So this is one of the... Um, one, one of the great sufferings that comes from dissociating and leaving and being in virtual reality. But there's another one which is that when we leave our bodies, we disconnect from empathy. In other words, it takes a sense of embodied presence to have a living kind of empathy and compassion. Otherwise it's abstract and it's easily out the window. You've probably noticed if you're really busy and you're really lost in your thoughts and you hear something in the news that's terrible, you'll say, oh, how terrible. But it's not like your heart is weeping for the, the losses in an intimate way because you're not in your body. Furthermore, when we don't know how to really be with the life in the body, when there's unfaced fear, it turns to aggression. And, um, you know, we're living in a time that we're so aware of and, and so horrified by the cycles of violence, by what's just happened recently in Brussels and then less in the news, but ongoingly bombings in Syria where Islamic people worshipping Shiite temple bombed, 143, this was last month, and then we lost. So lives and lives, and what's, what's causing it? Well, we leave this living body And rather than processing and being with the fears, they drive us into cycles of violence. So we practice together. This, right now, we'll be practicing and we keep on exploring in our own lives to heal the unfaced, unlived life inside us. We practice to discover within this bodily form, the spirit that shines through, and we practice for the healing of our world. Because if those that are listening and practicing uh, start waking up more and more our hearts and minds, it's contagious and it helps. The pathway home, again, it's like that prayer mat. It's again and again, when we get caught in suffering, the message is come back right here, let exactly what's going on, exactly how it's registering in your body, be the portal. That's the pathway. And yet what happens is we'll notice is that again and again our minds will try to interpret, try to figure out. So the beginning practices really in uh, meditation are noticeable how we are getting lost in thought. Notice how we are trying to make our world safe and comfortable by trying to mentally understand it rather than an embodied presence that is living it. You know, one of my favorite from the Zen tradition examples is uh, a Zen monk and his student, the student was asking a lot of questions. And one of his questions was, well, what happens after we die? And the Zen monk said, well, I don't know. And that was really upsetting to the student because he really wanted to know. So he said, I thought you were a Zen monk. And the response was, I am, but not a dead one. (laughs) So this is right at the heart of our practice, is recognizing this cocoon of familiar thinking. And Rumi says, step out of the tangle of fear thinking. Step out of the tangle of any thinking. Be able to honor thinking. Let it be a good servant. But know how to step out and experience reality directly. Okay? So we and in, in the last uh, talk, we explored how the, when thinking sticky, which it often is, you keep getting sucked back into the same narrative, your top ten hits, you know how it goes. When it's sticky how um, we can use the acronym RAIN to re-establish an embodied presence. And as a reminder, that means you just recognize what's going on. Okay, worrying, worrying. Allow. Give space for the life that's here. Just give space. Don't judge yourself for thinking. Then investigate, R-A-I, investigate. Investigate in the body. And just to say again, I, I have like to keep repeating this investigate for some people means think about it that's not what it means in this in RAIN it means investigate in an embodied way find out where do you feel it in your body is it pressure is there there a sense of squeeze is there a sense of flow what is it like in your body investigate the end of RAIN and the version that I've been teaching much more recently is to nourish with kindness, with compassion, which means whatever you find. And often it's vulnerable or raw to bring a quality of kindness to that. After you've done the steps of RAIN, recognizing and allowing and investigating, which means really contacting and nourishing, then just to rest in your immediate experience. And there's, in that resting, you'll notice what's called non-identification, that after doing rain you're not so identified with what's going on. More there's a resting in a wakefulness, an openness, that's free. It can be a matter of degree, but that's the fruit of rain. So don't just do rain and miss out on the fruit. Like if the rain falls and 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 new plants come up, just rest and discover the new growth, the flowering. So we practice for a moment, just let's try it out and and sense how we can become more embodied with RAIN and then we'll move on. As you pause right now to practice, I'd like you to bring up something that happened today or yesterday or within the last few days that was slightly stressful, that, you, that got you thinking, got you activated, but not something supercharged. It won't, it won't be useful right now to do something supercharged. Something that brought up sticky thinking, irritation, anxiety, might be something in a conversation with somebody, something at work, something going on with your health, something that is around the corner that you are anxious about. Any situation that is a little sticky or tense will do. Take a moment to, again, reflect on it, think about it, remember it. The R is just to recognize, okay, this is what's going on, stressful situation, thinking about it. The A is to allow, just to create some space that you are not trying to fix anything. You're not trying to make the stress go away. You're just allowing the situation to be there in your heart, body, mind. And then to investigate is to deepen your in- a- attention and just notice, well, how's it living in my body? With some curiosity, when I'm in this situation. When I am activated, what is it like in my body? And scan the throat, the chest, the belly. Just come into your body. It helps to use the breath, kind of a breath, kind a of slow, longer breath, breathing in and out and feeling the breath that in your body just to stabilize your attention, your body, then use your breath. Investigate. What's it like? And even if you're not sure if how it feels right now is related to the situation, what matters is investigating how is your body right now? What's going on right here? The end of, of rain, to nurture, is just to regard with kindness whatever you're noticing. You might nurture just with a, with a sense of acceptance, warmth, gentleness. Some gesture of kindness. And then we pause after the active steps of rain to just to sense the fruit, whatever it is, without expectation, just to sense the quality of presence that's here, just to notice what it's like, to rest in it. So sometimes when we are lost in thought or in a virtual reality the coming home into the body is simple. We just go, oh, okay, I am out there and just feel your breath and you come back in and sometimes if it is stickier, as we just did, you will recognize and allow what is going on and then investigate on purpose. Really bring your attention to scan down through your body and feel from the inside out. And on purpose, offer a gesture of kindness and discover how much more awake and present you are when you've taken those steps and deepened your attention. Okay, so opening your eyes. So this is the reign of embodied presence, a way to come in more purposefully. But now I'd like to bring up the question that I think is really uh, a key one when we explore our bodies and coming awake in our bodies, which is, what if what's there feels like too much? And I'm wondering if ha- how many of you have ex- tried to come into the body, be, a, be mindful of the body, and felt like it just felt too difficult to be in your body. Can I just see by hands how many have noticed that? Don't be shy, it helps to... So, so just so, for those that are listening, it's about half of us... Um, I certainly have. I've had times that I've been so agitated or scared that it didn't feel useful even to sit into my body. It felt like better to calm myself before I come into direct contact with what's here. And so I'd like to um, take a good part of, of the rest of this talk to address, well, how do we become more embodied when there's trauma or strong feelings and emotions that feel like too much. Because there's not um, a wholesomeness to assuming that whatever's going on we should be able to come into our body and feel it. That is absolutely deluded because we can re-traumatize ourselves. So when we don't have sufficient resources, and by resources I mean enough sense of of safety or balance or stability, to be mindful of what's going on in the body, that's the risk, that we can actually come into our body and feel the same raw terror we have felt before and actually deepen the groove of trauma. So what this tells us is that in order to become embodied, sometimes we need to first cultivate some resources, first calm our nervous system some. The reality, though, is that eventually the unlived life that's there, that we're afraid to feel, needs to be lived if we're to heal, eventually. it just, can we be gradual and intelligent about how we come into the body? I'd like to read you, um, I think, one of the wisest quotes in the world. This is author and psychotherapist Alice Miller, she writes, what happens if we don't pay attention to what's in the body? She says, the truth about our childhood is stored up in our body and although we can repress it, we can never alter it. Our intellect can be deceived, our feelings manipulated, and conceptions confused, and our body tricked with medication. But someday, our body will present its bill, for it is as incorruptible as a child who's still whole in spirit will accept no compromises or excuses and it will not stop tormenting us until we stop evading the truth. So another way to say that is that there's no true healing and there's no full experience of freedom, really experiencing reality, insight into truth, full awakening of heart, until we come into the body. So the process of rain that we described is, is a way in. But as I mentioned, and this really, it depends on how much trauma and how raw the emotions, you know, how the pacing of it whether we need to do a lot of resourcing. I'll share with you uh, an example of uh, a woman who actually came to this class, this Wednesday night class, a number of times before she came to see me privately. This was when I was still in practice as a therapist. And she told me that it was really difficult to follow the guided meditations because anytime she started trying to come into her body she felt panicky. Um, it, it was very It was very agitating, and so um, I suggested to her that that wasn 't the meditation for her right now and We started exploring what was going on for her and uh, this This woman was parole officer, and a, as a child, she had been sexually abused and continued to have relationships that were abusive and whenever she was treated in a certain way or heard a certain tone of voice, she'd get panicky inside. And the way she described it was, she'd get, her insides would get all knotted up in a little ball and she'd say, I, dis- I disappear. I have no access to any sense of who I am and what's, what's real, and my just, mind is spinning. But she said, even when I'm not triggered, she said, Tara, I feel like I've lost my soul. I don't have a feeling of, of, of depth of being. I don't feel alive you know, can't feel my body, you know, when I try to feel my body I freak out. So the way I worked with her, and this is something we can do in therapy, but we also can do through meditation, is the inquiry of what actually gives you a sense of comfort, safety, connection, love. What does work? And each of us, we wouldn't be able to survive, we wouldn't be able to take a step on this earth if there weren't some even tendril of a thread to feeling belonging or safety. We have something. So we start with what we have. And so she named her... um, her best friend and her sister. And as the weeks went by I got to join the club as allies, that she felt, she felt safe when she remembered us. So I start, we started practicing how she could bring us to mind, how she could actually visualize the three of us surrounding her. And, and, I, and when she did it and when she actually opened to how that felt, she said it felt like a warm bath, like she could just finally relax a little. That became a practice, because the more you practice, where attention goes, energy flows. The more you practice, the more you create neural pathways that actually give you access to her, it was access to that sense of being able to relax, being held. We practice and the more she could feel that, the more we could start practicing getting embodied. And we started with safe places in her body which is important. You start with your hands or your feet where the trauma isn't as located. So we started with safe places and we began to include more and more of her body. And it was a kind of back-forth thing where we'd establish a sense of safety and connection and then she'd dip into her body and then if things felt scary she'd come back and remember the sense of connection, kind of in and out, in and out until more and more she had the sense that she could have a presence that was more like the ocean and the the feelings in her body were waves, but she was big enough. Now, of course, that wouldn't happen when she'd get triggered. When she'd get triggered, she'd just have to go back to her resources. But it happened some months after we had been building these resources that uh, her ex-boyfriend, her boyfriend had been very abusive, he was now an ex but she was really frightened that he was going to be stalking her. She stayed overnight at, a, at her friend's house but even after her friend had gone to sleep the terror started building. So she did what we had done hundreds of times you know, called on her allies and felt that surrounding of her allies and she said with that she started opening into the fear and she said it was like hot broken glass tearing through her, it was really terror, but she just kept sensing, she kept visualizing and sensing uh, her allies holding her, and she let the fear, she allowed it, she allowed it to move through her, a kind of, a kind of surrendering that's not a weak surrendering, it's out of trust that she could hold it. Uh, And she said, gradually, the fear was still there, but there was more and more space. The space of loving was bigger than the fear. And she said, then it started filling with this warm, luminous light. And then she had tears because she realized it was the light of my own soul. The pathway is through, not necessarily right away. In fact, it's not wise or kind sometimes right away. But the pathway, eventually, is this kind of allowing that then totally transforms our relationship with the fear and reveals the space and the, the sense of the sacredness that is what we are. When I realized I was going to share this story, um, a poem came to mind that I thought I'd Share It's kind of the end of sharing the story by Dana Falls, who's one of my favorite poets, and it's called Allow. Okay, so you can just sit back and listen. There is no controlling life. Try corralling a lightning bolt containing a tornado. Dam a stream and it will create a new channel. Resist and the tide will sweep you off your feet. Allow and grace will carry you to higher ground. The only safety lies in letting it all in, the wild and the weak, fear, fantasies, failures, and successes. When loss rips off the doors of the heart, or sadness veils your vision with despair, practice becomes simply bearing the truth. In the choice to let go of your known way of being, the whole world is revealed to your new eyes. So embodiment means facing the truth of what's in our body, which includes fear and opens us to loving. Um, I love the language of the fearless heart, and it's the title of... Um, I'm doing an online course on the fearless heart in a few weeks uh, that you can access through my homepage on on my website. But The reason I name it the fearless heart is not because we are without fear. Fear lives in the body. We are alive in this body and our nervous system experiences fear. But it's possible to bring presence to that fear in a way that we discover a heart space that's larger, that's large enough for this living, dying life. That's the fearless heart. So we practice. And as I mentioned, there are a number of ways that we can prepare for mindfulness, that rather than directly entering into the rawness we can prepare ourselves. We can practice a breathing, uh, sometimes known as coherence breathing, and it's it's very well researched that helps to activate the parasympathetic and deactivate the sympathetic. It's long, slow breathing, equal-matched in-breath, equal-matched out-breath, no pause in between it will calm you down. We can practice putting our hand on our heart and our hand on our belly, because research shows that there's neural cells around the heart that are activated during stress and respond to the pressure and warmth of our touch. It actually calms us down. And it's even more effective if you combine it with uh, nurturing thoughts. You can activate the parasympathetic, meaning reduce fear, by walking in nature tons of research the difference between somebody walking on, in a city street or walking in nature, we start coming home to the elements we start relaxing so we're talking really in, in exploring together how do we come home, how do we come back to the garden and we do it either directly with rain just re-entering and investigating and being with or we do it more gradually by first remembering a feeling of love or connection or safety and then gently coming in. But either way, to discover and experience what we long for, the body's the portal. This last little piece is just describe the fruits that come as we are increasingly awake in our body but to invite you for a moment to check and see if you're here. Okay? You might feel your hands and sense your awareness filling your hands. Are you actually feeling your hands? Or are they just an object there? Are your feet, are your feet an object down there? Or are you, can you feel them from the inside out a little? Can you sense the length and the volume of your arms and feel them from the inside out? What about your heart? Can you gently bring your breath to your heart? And just from the inside out, sense, okay, this is the life of the heart right now. As we begin to honor and tend to the body in a present way, we actually increase our level of vitality and aliveness. I've seen people that come to uh, week-long retreats where we're over and over again coming back, feeling the life of the body, describe the awakening of the senses, like seeing, going outside and, in the spring and seeing that new green of spring, that kind of lime yellow, and saying, I could feel it in my body, you know, or hearing the sounds of the birds and saying it was a, symp- a sympathy, you know, you could just, wow, you know. And that's what's possible, that these senses wake up and you begin to, to get these nuanced sounds and tastes and so on. And here's how Eduardo Galeano puts it. He says, the church says the body is a sin. Science says the body is a machine. Advertising says the body is a business. The body says, I am a Fiesta. So the first fruit is we actually get to live more fully. We get to... and and such a... I I love um, exploring this particular theme in, in the spring because it's already... we're already kind of drawn to it and it brings it alive. So that's the first fruit, is that aliveness. The second fruit is that when we're embodied and feeling that aliveness and we bring the attention to the heart, the heart becomes an incredibly sensitive, sensitive space. And, you know, I described with in this story the woman's name is Dana who was, uh, you know, surrounded by her allies and feeling that warm bath of presence. She, you know, the way she described it is as she started letting it in, it became loving presence. She could actually feel it viscerally. And the opposite side is Many, many people have confided in me that they know they love others but they don't actually feel loving. So they know it's there, it's really what we are, but they don't feel they're inhabiting it. And the more, the more we're in a virtual reality, the more we leave home, the less we actually feel it. So we start not really trusting ourselves when we've taken a long leave of absence from being home we start mistrusting the goodness of our hearts because we haven't felt that tenderness that lets us know oh, okay, I care does that make sense? okay I know one mom described how she felt like it was was a painful confession she said, I feel like I spend more time worrying about and judging my daughter or teen than I do loving her and that brought great pain to her. So I invited her to practice. I said, okay, so sense the things you're judging and worrying about. And she sensed them. I said, okay, now feel that in your body. It's kind of doing rain. Okay, allow that to be there, but investigate. Feel it in your body. Okay, feeling it, feeling it. And I just put your, put your hand on your heart and offer kindness. And she started sensing how all that worry underneath it she wanted to know her daughter would be okay. She loved her daughter. But she couldn't contact until she on purpose started taking right what was there. You start right where you are. You don't try to get jump into love. You start with the worry and the anxiety. And it's the presence with that opens us to the space that becomes tender and loving. Start where you are. I remember another woman... Whose uh father had Alzheimer's, and she said that she was so busy trying to deal with all the circumstances and so upset and so on that that she wasn't feeling kind and so again when i when I asked her to get in touch with the busyness and the stress and so on and the anxiety in her by going into her body, she started grieving the loss and in the, the very depth of that grief was the loving. The body is the portal. The poet Hafez says, please stay near to me and Hafez will spin you into love. Stay near to me, to this reality, this aliveness, and Hafez will spin you into love. so we 're talking about the fruits here, and one fruits is aliveness, and the other is becoming really tender, taking whatever portal, whatever 's going on and through our bodies, finding that that heart space that 's tender. The third fruit I want to mention is the fruit of realization of freedom, the fruit of wisdom of really seeing what 's true if we 're Avoiding reality, if we are in any way controlling, in any moment controlling what is going on, we can't experience reality. Any controlling and we are one step removed, we are separate from, we have divided ourselves away. But in the moments of embodiment, of opening to the sense of the form and sensation, we start discovering that space, that formless, empty space it all arises from, and the love that suffuses that space, the awareness (laughs) that suffuses that space. So for Dana, it was recovering her soul. That was her language for that, that she went through her body and found that tenderness and that awakeness and that space. And another would say, Buddha nature emerges, and another would say, Christ consciousness, through the body. So we started by sensing that prayer, that it's actually right here, it's under us, that the illusion is we have to wait, we have to figure something out, we have to practice harder in another place for 30 days, to whatever it is. And the reality is, is that any moment that you say, oh, right now, come back, right here. You can begin to sense that presence and that space that's really home. So I'd like to close with a brief meditation. This is a short one where we can just taste the fruits of embodied presence. As you close your eyes and let yourself become still, just briefly scan through your body and sense any part of your body that wants to let go, wants to soften or relax a little right now. might soften the eyes. There's these little micro-muscles around the eyes that tighten when there's thinking and when we soften them it helps to relax the mind open. You might sense a slight smile at the mouth. You might let the shoulders drop away from the, the neck and just soften there. softening the hands. Let the be- belly be soft so you can let this next breath be received in a softening belly. This breath. And again. And just relax your heart. since you can smile into your heart. not to, not to get rid of anything but to create the space that has a room and let that sense of space and aliveness spread through your whole body so you can feel this field of sensation, this living body like points of light in the night sky, just let everything happen Senses awake. You might notice that everything is changing, nothing's holding still. Sense what it means to just open and surrender to the changing flow, just let it happen. a very deep yes, a very deep yes to the life that's living through you. Even when you feel you've surrendered and opened, you can sense an even deeper possibility of allowing and surrendering, not opposing anything, letting it live through you and sensing the space that this aliveness is suspended in, playing out in, moving through. The space between the cells, the interior space that sensations emerge from, the space that surrounds us sense that it's filled with the light of awareness and to bring this living, awake awareness to the level of the heart now and in a very particular way in this human life to let yourself bring to mind someone you care about. And sense how this heart space holds and experiences a dear one. Sense this being's goodness. Feel the sensitivity and tenderness of the heart, aware, registering. Sense the unconditional accepting presence. This is the fearless heart that's got room for life, that's free to love, that's free to include all of life in the heart. Dense this heart space wide, wide open including this whole world, all living beings. And we close in a simple way with feeling the prayer of the heart May we each be blessed to come home into this aliveness and into the awareness, the loving awareness, that's really our essence. May we live from loving awareness. May this loving awareness be inhabited, expressed in a way that brings healing and peace to our world Namaste and thank you For more talks and meditations and to learn about my schedule or join my email list please visit tarabrock.com.